ever look in the mirror and feel mm, not so great about what you see? Everyone feels that way sometimes. Natasha Tarpley writes about it in her book, I Love My Hair. It's about a girl who learns to, you guessed it, love her hair exactly the way it is. On this episode, author Natasha Tarpley talks to us about writing, solving mysteries, how to deal with bullying, and also punk rock. That's right. This writer used to wish she was a rock star. We'll get into that. Join author Natasha Tarpley and me on Explorers Club. Is it true that you brought a story to read to us today? I did. Um, I brought a story that I really love to read myself and to have read to me when I was a kid. So... I have three siblings, two sisters and one brother. I'm the oldest. So you can imagine as the oldest, you kind of get used to being by yourself for a while. And then all these other people start showing up. (laughs) And so I brought a book called Peter's Chair by Ezra Jack Keats. And I really related to Peter's experience in this book when he gets a new sibling. So I thought I'd share that with you. Lovely. Go ahead. Okay. Peter stretched as high as he could. There, his tall building was finished. Crash! Down it came. Shh! called his mother. You'll have to play more quietly. Remember... We have a new baby in the house. Peter looked into his sister Susie's room. His mother was fussing around the cradle. That's my cradle, he thought. And they painted it pink. Hi, Peter, said his father. Would you like to help paint sister's high chair? It's my high chair, whispered Peter. He saw his crib and muttered, my crib. It's painted pink, too. Not far away stood his old chair. They didn't paint that yet, Peter shouted. He picked it up and ran to his room. Let's run away, Willie, he said. That's his dog. Peter filled a shopping bag with cookies and dog biscuits. We'll take my blue chair, my toy crocodile, and the picture of me when I was a baby. Willie got his bone. They went outside and stood in front of his house. This is a good place, said Peter. He arranged his things very nicely and decided to sit in his chair for a while. But he couldn't fit in the chair. He was too big. His mother came to the window and called. Won't you come back to us, Peter, dear? We have something very special for lunch. Peter and Willie made believe they didn't hear. But Peter got an idea. Soon his mother saw signs that Peter was home. And you guys can't see the illustrations, but there's a curtain and there's a pair of shoes peeking out from beneath. Mm-hmm. That rascal is hiding beneath behind the curtain, she said happily. She moved the curtain away, but he wasn't there. Here I am, shouted Peter. He's behind a, a, a piece of furniture, another piece of furniture. Peter sat in a grown-up chair. His father sat next to him. Daddy said, Peter, let's paint the little chair pink for Susie. 
and they did. And that is Peter's chair. So what? I loved that book growing up. <laughs> oh, that is so lovely. Thank you for reading it to us. Natasha, you have a podcast called Opal Watson Private Eye. It's about a girl who likes to solve mysteries. Let's take a listen. That's the thing about mysteries. They often have more questions than answers. But I'll get to the bottom of all of it. I always do. I'm Opal Watson, Private Eye. Oh, give us some introductions here to Opal. So Opal is... An 11-year-old young lady. She lives in Chicago. She is curious. She's brave. She's persistent. And she just happens to have her own mystery-solving business um, where she solves mysteries uh, in her neighborhood and in her apartment building. And she, you know, really helps her neighbors in that way. And um, as the series goes on the mysteries start getting a little bit bigger, a little bit more interesting. How do you think up the mysteries that she may have to tackle? I think about where Opal lives. She lives in an apartment building um, in a neighborhood in Chicago, which is where I'm from. And I think about what happens in those places. So For example, um, the very first mystery that Opal solves um, is a neighbor who wants to help her, who wants her help in finding a lost kitten. And so Opal um, goes on the hunt within her building. She gets some kind of clues that the the kitten may still be in the building. So she goes on the hunt um, and finds the kitten within her apartment building there are other things that come up where neighbors are missing packages and Opal's on the case to figure out what happened to those packages. So I think about, you know, what's going on and uh, or what might be going on in Opal's everyday life um, in the setting where she lives. Natasha, let's hear some more of Opal's story. There's a man who just moved to her neighborhood named Mr. Vincennes. Is that how you, how you pronounce his name, Mr. Vis- Vincennes? Actually, it's spelled that way. Okay. It's actually Mr. Vincennes. Oh, Mr. Vincennes. And one day, she and her friend run into him when they're looking for clues in the stairwell. Ms. Watson, Mr. Good, fancy running into you here. Miss, Mr. Vincennes. Are you two spying in the stairwell? You on a case? Uh, no. I mean, maybe. We're just going to visit an old friend. Ah, yes. Good to stay connected. Well, nice seeing you, Mr. Vincennes. We gotta run. Can't keep our friend waiting. Sorry, Mr. Vincennes. Here, let me help you. Sure are a lot of packages here. Been doing a lot of shopping. That's none of your concern, Mr. Good. I didn't mean to offend you. I think that's everything. Thank you for your help. I'm sure I'll be seeing you around. Ooh, there's a bit of tension in there. That's intense. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Mr. Vincent, he is a very interesting character. Um, why are Opal, why is Opal so suspicious of him? Well, he shows up one day out of the blue. Um, Opal is actually coming home after solving another mystery. And 
lo and behold, finds Mr. Vincennes in her living room visiting with her family. Uh, and it turns out that Mr. Vincennes is an old friend of her grandmother. And right away, Opal's suspicious because her grandmother is a very warm and lovely person. But around Mr. Vincennes, she kind of turns into somebody else or she's she doesn't seem to like him very much. And so Opal um, is kind of immediately suspicious about that. And then you've heard Mr. Vincent's voice. He sounds kind of creepy. And so <laughs> when you bring, you combine those two things, you know, he has a very um, different kind of energy and Opal's like, what's going on with this guy? Um, and so he becomes a very interesting part of her story. How does Opal keep her cool? How does she keep her head about her? I think Opal keeps her cool by really being focused on her work. Mm -hmm. Um, She is so um, committed to solving mysteries and she uses all of her senses to do that. She's got her phone where she uses um, to record things. She's got her notebook. Um, And I think that's one of the ways that she, you know, is able to, kind of not get so caught up in some of the other the the scarier elements of the mysteries or or other things that are going around on around her. She's very prepared. Yes, very prepared. Natasha, let's talk about your book, I Love My Hair. It's about a girl named Kiana and Kiana's mom brushes her hair every day and when her hair is tangled, it hurts. So let's hear some of that. Mama, stop, I cry when I can't stand the comb tugging at my hair any longer. Mama puts the comb down and rubs my hurting places. Then she leans in close to me like she has a big secret to tell. Do you know why you're so lucky to have this head of hair, Kiana? She asks. I shake my head no, because it's beautiful and you can wear it in any style you choose. I can spin your hair into fine, soft yarn just like our grandmothers did, at their spinning wheels and weave it into a puffy little bun. Or I can part your hair into straight lines and plant rows of braids along your scalp the way we plant seeds in our garden, then wait and watch for them to grow. Oh, what a beautiful passage there. How does Kiana come around with understanding her hair and her heritage? Um, I think it goes back to that really special nurturing space that she and her mom have when they're uh, performing this ritual, which is such an intimate ritual when you're sitting down and someone is combing your hair, you're, you're, you know, you're in close proximity, you're very close together. Um, And then that special ritual of kind of grooming one another or making one another uh, look beautiful is is such a special uh, ritual to share with uh, another person. And so I think um, that space in and of itself helps Kiana to start to relax. And um, the way my mom sort of encouraged me to use my imagination and be creative, her mom opens up that space for her 
as well. And so she can start to envision her hair in all of these different ways. And she can also learn about her hair through um, some of the stories that they tell and, and some of the things that they talk about during that time period. What is the relationship like with a mother and daughter that you try to convey with I Love My Hair? I want to convey a relationship that is nurturing and warm, but one that also inspires creativity. In fact, the the inspiration for I Love My Hair came from um, this game that my mother and I used to play as as she was combing my hair we would pretend that there were people who were living in my hair. And so as she got to each section of my hair, we would have a character who lived in that section and we would make up stories about that character. Um, Of course, this also functioned to kind of distract me from the process (laughs) of getting my hair combed, but it was also a really special time when, you know, we just had fun. We were using our imagination. We were creating stories. We were creating characters. What do kids at school, how do they treat Kiana and her hair? Well, Kiana does talk about a moment where she decided to wear her afro to school and a few of the kids teased her. Um, And that made her feel kind of sad, but she also learned that that particular hairstyle had a lot of meaning and a lot of um, significance in the African-American history. It is a way, it's a, it was a symbol of pride of people, um, you know, really showing off their natural hair and being who they are. Um, and that Kiana felt really connected um, to that sense of history as well. Um, And I think we all have things, you know, it may not be your hair, but I think we all have things that make us feel a little different. Maybe we don't like the shape of our nose, or maybe we're, we wish we were taller, or we wish we were shorter, or whatever that may look like for you. And my hope is that even though this is a book about hair, that, you know, kids of all backgrounds, um, and all experiences will relate to this because, um, you know, we all have something that we feel is, is different, but that is also a very unique and special and wonderful part of who we are. Body image can be so difficult. Some kids are teased. Some kids are bullied in ways. How can they get through it and, and learn to love um, their body? It's a, it's a tough thing. And I, I, when I was growing up, I was a little chubby and I was teased for that at school. And that was a really tough time for me. Um, I, one of the ways that I was able to get through that was I was lucky to have, you know, a really close and nurturing family. And so I felt, you know, really um, accepted at home And, you know, and I had a couple of friends at school that really helped me as well. And one of the things I also did was when I felt um, very uncomfortable, if there were times like that, I would tell my teachers and I would look for people at school 
um, who would intervene on my behalf. And I think it's sometimes hard for for kids to feel comfortable talking to people about what's going on. But I think that's probably a, one of the first steps to talk to someone that you trust, an adult who can intervene. For example, there were boys at one of my schools that teased me. Um, and I told one of my teachers and she talked to those boys on my behalf. And, you know, that really helped. I wish I had, you know, just one answer to say, do this and everything will be okay. And I also grew up at a time where, you know, we didn't have the social media. So like that we have today. And so it was pretty much if something was happening, it was happening in that one place at school. So it wasn't following me into my, you know, home or anything like that. So there wasn't I think this you, digital universe. Right, there wasn't the digital universe where these things are happening. So yeah. I think that makes it even more important to let people know what's going on and to allow people um, in your life, adults in your life, um, to help you. Natasha, did you ever turn to journaling or poetry or writing in some way to get through difficult times? Absolutely. And I journaled, I kept a journal for most of my years growing up. Um, my journals were not only to help me get through um, difficult times, but there were places where I really could just express who I was and what I was thinking I, when I was growing up, I wanted to be um, a British punk rock star. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so my journals were the places where I kept all of my bands that I liked, all of the different British words and the American words, you know, how we, we called things differently. Mm -hmm. We speak English, but sometimes we use different words for, for the same thing. Um, and I actually practiced signing my name in my journals, because I knew that I was just going to be this famous star and people were always going to be asking for my autograph. <laughs> and then as it turns out, you know, I'm not a famous British punk rock star, but I do sign my name quite a bit on my books. And on your so, book tour, sure. Yeah, sure. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> Could we peek into your writing habits and like where you like to write and what it looks like where you write? Sure. I write in my home. I have an office. Um, I have bookshelves along one wall. I have a very, very messy desk. <laughs> uh, I'm always trying to clean. And I don't necessarily have a strict writing schedule, but I try to get to my office as soon as I get up. So I, I'll get up, I'll make a cup of coffee, and then I'll come into my office. And usually for me, in order to stay organized, I try to make a plan for what I want to achieve during that day. I want to, I make a list about, of what project I'm going to work on and where I want to go in that project. For example, I, I might say I want to work on this particular book and I want to get to this chapter or I want to finalize this decision that I'm trying to make about what this character is going to decide to do, whether they're going to take this action or, or go along this path. So I try to make um, a, a plan for myself so that I can stay focused. What happens when you get writer's block, when it just doesn't come to you? That's the hardest thing because the, 
the inclination is to just try to keep figuring it out, figuring it out. I, you know, I get frustrated. I sit at my computer, I sit at my desk and I'm just like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and eventually I usually get up, walk away, go for a walk or a run, listen to music, read someone else's work and just give my brain a little bit of space to work it out. And I, and I think that's, an important part of that. Working at it and sitting down again is definitely also important, but giving your brain space to kind of just, you know, not even focus on this thing, but just give it space to kind of dream and, you know, focus on something else for a minute, I, I find often helps. You might, yeah, you might have a messy desk, but you seem really organized. Are you a list maker? I am. I make lists religiously. (laughs) And when I write, I also like to make outlines of what I'm doing. So that really helps me um, to stay on track as well. So if I'm working on a story, I like to outline what I know. I may not know the whole story yet, but I'd like to outline what I know or what I think I know about what's going to happen in that story. Natasha, you've made... Um, made it a really part, important part of your job to make sure that stories about all kinds of different people, that they're out there in the world. Why is that important to you? I think when you see yourself reflected in a book or when you see an experience um, that you've had or are having reflected in a story, it really helps you to kind of connect more to who you are and connect more to the world. And so stories also connect us to one another. Oh, Natasha, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. The Explorers Club is brought to you by Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm your host, Kate Archer-Kent. This podcast was produced by Colleen Leahy and Brad Kohlberg. Carl Christensen wrote our music. Our executive producer is Molly Stentz. Do you like this episode? Let us know. We're at kids at WPR.org. You can find more episodes at WPR.org slash kids and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye. Goodbye.